You're listening to Reflective Practice. How do I use reflective practice during COVID-19? This is episode five of the Educators for Impact podcast. This episode was recorded on July 16th, 2020. This podcast is all about shining a light on educators as people through exploring, examining, and uplifting the experiences of educators, we hope to leave a lasting impact on the students, families, and communities we are called to collaborate with. During this episode, we will discuss what reflective practice is and how teachers can use it to strengthen their ability to show up authentically, even during the COVID-19 crisis. Hello again, my name is Michelle and I'm a middle school teacher in the boogie down Bronx, New York. And I'm here with Dr. Jones, Miss Kalinda Jones, and she's going to say hello really briefly to the people. Hi there, Kalinda Jones here in Sacramento, California. I'm a community college professor, and part of my teaching is this semester particularly was in a men's maximum security prison, and that'll be important later on in this conversation. My experience previously has been teaching both the middle and high school level as well as at the graduate school level. Now I'm going to turn it back to Michelle for story time. All right. So if you know me, you know, story time is an essential piece of paradise, my classroom, what I call paradise. So I just want to shine a little light on story time right now with Kalinda Jones. Let's see. I remember because Kalinda and I have known each other for almost 20 years. And I remember when I was deciding on what college to go to. And if you are a high school teacher, if you teach uh, juniors or seniors, you remember these conversations with your kids because they're always asking you, what school should I go to? What school should I go to? I remember when I taught 11th and 12th grade, I had a lot of conversations as well. And I remember talking to Kalinda and she was like, well, have you heard of WMU or Western Michigan University? I said, no. Where is that? She was like, in Kalamazoo. I was like, Kalamazoo is a real place? And I'm from Michigan and I didn't know that. So I remember her telling me about that and I looked up the school and I thought you know it was cool and I actually ended up attending that school so just a quick shout out to Kalinda for taking the time to just kind of walk me through that process for the teachers out there who are teaching your seniors and they're asking you all those questions just those small nuggets of like have you thought of or you could try or you should look up these schools especially since you know the kids so well they can really really impact the trajectory of that kid's life because i definitely did go to that school so thank you kj you're welcome can i just say i didn't go to w to western michigan university i really did think that was a good fit for you potentially yeah, no, I think that's an important point. Sometimes we like to enforce or reinforce or put students like go the place I went. That was not the case here. Yeah, it was definitely, you could tell you thought about me and my personality and the fact that I could have stayed close, but I probably needed to go away just not too far, but far enough. So thank you again. So yeah, our quote of the day is the same quote from our previous podcast, because this is a series that we're doing about reflective practice. And the quote says, the more reflective you are, the more effective you are. And if you listen to our previous episode, we talked about just reflective practice and, you know, the more you reflect on what you're doing and how you're doing it, the more effective you become over time. And Kalinda's going to talk to you a little bit about what in the world is reflective practice. Thanks. I want to just mention right now that we are, as Michelle said earlier, we are positioning this episode in, as it relates to COVID-19. And so it's important that when we're thinking about this, that we realize and we give just, at least we verbalize 
that in the midst of COVID-19, our experiences as instructors, as professors, as educators, as school counselors, as administrators, our experiences are changing rapidly. And I believe that unless we engage in reflective practice, the circumstances will control us. This, the reflective practice is one of the ways that we can be intentional and we can pause and we can influence the process. And so I'm hoping that this is helpful so that people can use this process. They won't get stuck and they won't also feel super out of control or spun. So when we talk about reflective practice, we're talking about having some experience. And like I said, in COVID-19, we're all having lots of experiences. And after having an experience, whether it's good or bad as an instructor, the idea is to pause and reflect on that. What are you feeling? What are you thinking? What were the students' thoughts and feelings about it? So you actually look at it and pause for a second. If you stop here, you will not continue to actually move towards influencing your practice. So reflecting is not enough. Ignoring is not enough. You have to reflect. And then you move to trying to understand. This is when you take your past experiences, your knowledge of people's culture, your knowledge of theories, your knowledge of what works for the different skills that you can use, the different techniques in the classroom. You take all of that and apply it to your understanding of the experience. And then you move to problem solving to try to figure out, okay, based on my understanding, how can I adapt? How can I move? How can I change? So that I can then move and change and control and have these experiences be more effective. And last time we talked about the two aspects of reflection, which is reflection in practice and reflection on practice. And a lot of times when things are moving at a normal pace, we have a lot of time to both reflect in practice and on practice. And right now things are happening so rapidly that we are kind of doing both reflection in practice and on practice perpetually. And I think it's really important to understand that, to give word to that, to honor the work that teachers are doing in this time, and to also break this tool down so that you don't have to just spin in the experiences, but that you can actually take a minute, understand them, and adjust course. So, Michelle, can you tell us about how reflective practice has intersected with COVID-19 in one of your experiences? Well, thank you for sharing that breakdown of what it is. I appreciate the fact that you named how rapid things are changing, or because it when it first happened and we first closed schools like we had three days for my network anyway we had three days to get ready and then boom it was like go and so and the beauty is no one walked away from that challenge you know we stepped up and as teachers you know we we definitely have been working like extremely hard so we don't want the reflective practice to seem like another thing on top of everything that's going on we hope that this reflective practice is a way for you just to have another tool in your toolkit to help you through these difficult times and so the experience that i'm going to talk about is one that I think 100% of teachers have dealt with during uh, COVID-19, which was uh, students who weren't logging on in the beginning of remote learning. And, you know, we sent them home with the laptops or maybe we didn't, or we did a technology survey and we were like, hey, do you have a tablet? Do you have a cell phone? Do you have a laptop? Okay, you have technology, you're good. So, you know, my school is no different. We send our kids home and the first couple meetings, it was assumed that kids were not logging on because they didn't want to. And, you know, they, don't, they didn't seem so invested during the school year. So why would they be invested now? And, or they're logging on and they're just like commenting, but they're not really doing the work. And these it was the, like... These were the conversations in your teacher meetings? Yeah, in our teacher, you know, Zoom meetings, these were conversations around like, you know, they're doing the chat, they're chatting with their friends, but they're not doing the work. And so I took it upon myself 
to actually start like evaluating or not really evaluating but like investigating what the heck was going on with the kids right so in that meeting i'm just thinking to myself like hmm if i'm 10 years old and i've never really had to use a laptop for learning outside of school then i'm thinking to myself like there's a high chance that i probably don't know how right and so this is something i'm thinking like after being like some of this didn't feel right. It just felt like we were making a lot of assumptions. Mm -hmm. And because of those assumptions, we were kind of writing kids off and saying like, yo, you know, they just don't want to do it. And then we were moving on with the kids who did, who were participating. And I just, that didn't feel right. So I like, was like, oh, I'll step up. And I was like, oh, okay, I'll figure it out. I'll call the kids. And through that frustration, I took action and was like, yo, like, I'm going to, I'm going to step up and I'm going to add something else to my plate, but I really want to know like what's going on. And once I started calling families and talking to families, they just didn't know how to get connected. For example, you know, the little icon on the top right corner of your Google Chrome where you have to like click and you have multiple email addresses that you can log into. Kids didn't know, or our kids are 10, they didn't know that when you click on that little icon that you can switch accounts. And so I would get on FaceTime and I would say, hey, you're, you know, do you have, or I would text and say, hey, do you have iPhones? And I would say, hey, can I talk to your mom? And, and just try to figure out like how to like talk to the child to get them online. And it was a lot of like helping them figure out how to actually sign into a, a laptop through their school account on a personal laptop, right? Or a lot of the kids who were commenting were able to comment because they had the Google Classroom app, right? on a tablet or an iPad, which does not have the capabilities of really uploading the whole platform. So kids were able to like write comments and do small assignments like Google Forms. But when it came to like Google Slides or Google Docs, they were having more issues like interacting with those applications. And then another instance was uh, one of my students just had never connected to their at-home internet before. And so they had no clue how to go to the Wi-Fi, like go find the Wi-Fi symbol, click on that, see the available networks, click on the one that they have. Like they just had never done it before. So as I, you know, start planning for the fall because COVID has not gone anywhere and it doesn't look like it's going anywhere soon. So to keep us all safe, a lot of us will be continuing remote learning, continuing with remote learning. I decided like, you know, we need to have some type of tech check, right? Where we're like checking in with kids one-to-one, -one, making sure that they know how to log in, especially if they are new to your campus. You know, do you have a laptop at home? Do you have what you need? How are we getting those kids those laptops? And then another push for me would be when students are struggling with tech, let's problem solve before we assume, right? So, hey, we noticed that X, Y, and Z, these kids are not logging in. Let's break the kids up. Let's call the families. Let's talk to the child. Let's see what's going on. Do they have everything that they need? And then if they tell us that they don't, we have to work 10 times harder to get them what they need. Our network particularly is not um, strapped for money or resources. So, I know that it wouldn't be an issue, but it's the bigger issue is the fact that we just assumed and we just said, hey, they don't want to do it, you know, and I have yet to run into a student who didn't want to learn, you know. And so with the rapid changes that are occurring with our schools and the ways in which we are moving just as fast as we have been expected to adjust. We're asking our kids to adjust really fast as well, and they don't have the experience to adjust as quickly. They're children. And when we forget that, we put our kids in a pretty tough spot. 
And if we are champions for children, if we are teachers, educators, counselors, principals, administrators, all who believe that all children are important and all kids need access to a quality education, then that means that we have to make sure that we are trying our best to figure out why they don't have access and not just assuming that. And so that was like really big for me. It felt really good to actually figure it out and like become like a little tech guru type person for that time. And I don't mind being that for my team and, and encouraging other members of my team to, to join in with me. But that was big for me. To, and then it felt really good to get them logged in and see them start to complete assignments and feel like they were still connected to our community. So, so I want to reflect on the fact that I actually think that you were engaging in two reflective cycles because you were reflecting okay. on what was going on with your students in the classroom, right? Immediate, I mean, in the COVID classroom immediately, mm-hmm. but you also were reflecting on how this looked in the larger system that you're a part of, right? In the teacher meeting. And I yeah. think it's important that we understand that those of us that have been teaching for a while, and you don't have to have been teaching for a while, but those of us that want to advocate for students, this is how we do it. We reflect on the system, right? Mm-hmm. As well as reflecting on what's going on in our classroom. And I think your example illustrates that perfectly. The other thing I wanted to say in response to what you said is that like, it really hurt my heart to think about people being like, oh, those 10th graders just don't want to learn. Just mm-hmm. write them off. In the Mm -hmm. midst of a pandemic, you're in New York City, which was like ground zero in the U.S., right? To just think like it can be so easy for us as educators to just write people off. And then, of course, I'm thinking myself, do I do that as well, right? So I'm not trying to implicate others without also gauging a reflective practice myself. And I don't have an answer to that question. But yeah, that was painful for me. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's easy to say like... I mean, to protect self and time and preservation, it's easy to say like, oh, that student just isn't interested. And so let me just focus on the students who are, you know, and this is not to say that some kids were just like, yo, I'm getting away with it. I'm not doing it. You know, this not to say that those kids don't exist because there probably are a few. But when we make these assumptions, we lump a lot into one group and we don't know that that's the situation. When we lump kids like that, that's to me, that's where the, where the problem lies, you know. But I agree. It, it does hurt. And it, it, it does. And so even as like teachers, though, like as much time as it took for me to like call those kids, I mean, the same is expected of like administrators to call and check up on your teachers. Like this is a wellness check too. like, are you good? You know, like we have to consider that too. Like, OK, you guys don't have the Internet or you don't have this or you don't have that. But are you OK? Mm-hmm. You know, so I think wellness checks are just as important as these like, are you doing your work checks as well? But Thanks. Ooh, I want to bookmark one more thing for a later. Oh, wow. Three things? Dang. Well, you just said it in this last part. The last thing I want to bookmark is the idea of like when we assume and we lump all kids together in groups, I think if we want to really be effective cross-culturally as educators, we really want to respond to the need to be anti-racist in our practice. We can't lump everyone in a group and say that everyone's having the same racial experience in the United States. So I understand that I'm just opening the door up for a whole bigger conversation and we don't have time for that in this episode, but we will come back to that at some point, I'm sure. I'm sure you're going to make sure of that. (laughs) If that's all your, your many reflective pieces on reflective practice from my example, do you have an example that you want to share or did mine kind of... You know, I think we have time. Okay. I do want to, I want to share because I think what we're doing in the prison teaching is like the, we're the one or 2% that's not online. 
So if you listen to a previous episode, I talked about some of the experiences teaching in the prison and specifically around COVID-19. Well, I talked about what happened the last time I saw the students before COVID-19. So I want to give an example of reflective practice. And it's similar to the one that I offered in our last episode, but I think it's important that teachers continually be given the permission and being called forth to be responsible for reflecting inward before they reflect outward. So I want to give this example. I'm going to try to do it quickly. If you remember, we were in the prison. Those of us who were teaching college courses in the prison, we left and we weren't able to see students ever again. So what we did was we created written packets, kind of like unit packets. We sent stuff into the students. We wrote weekly letters. We received back things from them. And this was a cycle we went through each week of getting stuff, grading it, or writing comments, writing letters, sending it back. And so we're about six weeks into the process and the students are in a groove and I can tell they're getting it. And that some of the students that I was afraid I hadn't heard anything from were like turn and work in. And so I'm, I'm like, yeah, we're in a groove. We're going to be able to make this finish through the end of the semester. They're going to get their credit. And I, then I receive a bunch of work back from students and they are mad at me. They are very mad. They are like, you gave us work to do and you did not give us the reading to do it. How can I do oh, this wait. work? Wait, pause one moment. So you are, students are actually turning in work after the initial like announcement of you know, hey, you won't be able to go back to campus. And then when did they get upset? So it's six weeks in and we're going through this weekly cycle of where they're completing work. I'm grading the work, giving it back to them. We're going through this cycle for about six okay. weeks. Okay, so six weeks of like give and take, back and give forth. Give and take, back and forth. We're not seeing each other at all. They're okay. only giving me written work with written comments. There's a form that they fill out with direct questions for me. Like that's, that's how that's going. And I okay, feel like we're in a groove, like finally, because it took us two weeks to do anything because we, it took us a minute to like set the whole thing up anyways. So okay. we're like in a groove and I'm like, yes, students are going to get their, their college credit for this course. We can keep going. And so it's like about week six and I get the delivery of work and I start sit down and I'm grading the work. And all of a sudden, students start telling me that they're really mad. Like, you gave me this work to do, and you did not give me the reading. And then I'm like, what is going on? What happened? And so what happened was this. I had sent work to the print shop, which, remember, we're not supposed to be on our campus at all. So we had to work behind the scenes to get the print shop to be able to go there to give us work at all. It was a lot of backstory work, or a lot of back behind the scenes kind of stuff. So we sent work to them, but they hadn't, they weren't able to turn it over fast enough. So I printed some stuff on my computer at home and sent it to my approximately 60 students who are in the prison. But what I did was I printed the wrong one. I adapted it. I changed it for this semester, but I accidentally printed the one from the semester previous. So they're right. I sent them work without giving them the stuff to read. Some of them went and got like reading that the old students had had, like students who'd taken me before and they actually did the work. But some of them were mad. Now remember they're in prison. They're getting an hour a day out of their cells. They're like really stressed because they don't know what's going on with COVID-19. Like it's a stressful environment and they're still giving me work. And they send me 
like some of them are doing it and then a few of them are really angry like I made them one of them was like you need to make your classwork easier like Dr. Blah 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 another professor at the prison and I was like <laughs> all right so I mean I owned it right so Anyways, I'm like feeling bad, confused. I don't even know what's going on. I figure out that I had made this error. And then I'm like, you know what? The students are stressed. So after reflecting on it, I'm like, the students are stressed. I am really committed to them being able to get their college credit. I want to model authentic care. I want to model still trying to keep rapport with students. I want to take responsibility when I'm not perfect. And so what I do after reflecting on that and making sense of it is that I, in the weekly letter, I write to them. Like I say, basically, I, I have this here. I said, please know that I did not mean to do this. I'm sorry for my error and am very concerned if this caused you frustration and confusion. This was not my intent. But then I explained what happened. I gave them the backstory, which I never would have about the print shop, just a few sentences. And then I said, however, I didn't just say it wasn't my intent. I also took responsibility. However, I was rushed and did not double check to make sure that I was printing the correct reading guides. Again, I am sorry. I know that this is a stressful time for many of you and I did not want to add any additional stress. And that is true. That was authentic. And then I gave them in the, in the weekly letter, I said to correct this error and I explained to them what I was doing to adjust to their grade and the assignments and all that stuff. And then I was very careful when I sent the next packets of assignments to them and I did double check it. So this is an example of even in this like COVID-19, we're moving very fast. I'm sure you could hear in some of the backstory of what I didn't give details about. There's a lot of stuff going on for us to just be able to keep going and teach in the prison. But what I want to do is as I think about reflective practice for the fall, and as I continue the reflective cycle, I really want to know, like, what can I do to prevent this? And the truth of the matter is it may happen again, because as an instructor, sometimes details, I can mess them up sometimes, <laughs> right? This was like a classic Kalinda Jones kind of error, right? And I think that because I know myself, I'm able to own it, but I still want to reduce it. So my takeaway from this example today, I think I shared most of my takeaways in my response to you from yours. But my takeaway in this example is like, you know what, this stuff is stressful. And I think I got it down. And then I'm like, holy shit, I messed this up. Right. And so that's like my summary that I know that's going to happen again. I just do what I, I don't have perfection. I don't want perfection. I want to be a human, right? I don't want to be a robot. I cannot promise myself perfection. I cannot promise them. I can promise that I will engage in reflective practice. And so what I'm wondering at a bigger level, so that's my takeaway, but my question goes back to your example earlier. I'm just wondering a lot more about how I use this reflective practice purposefully in the larger advocacy work I do. And this semester I'll be working a lot collaboratively with other faculty to be developing curriculum for and, and to be teaching in this new strange way we're teaching in the prisons during COVID. And I'm just wondering how I can be more effective as a reflective practitioner working as a faculty coordinator of the program in the fall. So those are the things I'm thinking about. Well, number one, thank you for sharing that example because when we as teachers are able to say my bad, I think it's so powerful for our students to just say I'm sorry and, you know, own it and not only own it, but put in place what you're doing to correct the error. And I've uploaded assignments. I don't know if other uh, teachers have experiences when I've, you upload something for Google Classroom and you don't make a copy for each student. And so one 
copy goes out and there's like 10 little faces on there and they're like, I can't edit. Someone else is editing. And you're like, oh, my bad. I'm going to delete the assignment. I'm going to put a new one up. You know, I'm going to extend the time. Like you just, you know, mistakes happen, especially when we're doing things so rapidly. And so I know a lot of us are spending our summer um, getting ready for the fall and adjusting things and just becoming more acquainted with platforms that we're using. And it's okay to say my bad. And, you know, every time I do that, the kids are always like, it's okay. It's all right, Miss Randall. Everybody makes mistakes. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, you guys are adorable. I love you guys. So, but for this particular episode, I think my takeaway is it's okay to say my bad. And it's okay to speak up for the kids who may not be as involved in the community because of remote learning. It's okay to speak up on behalf of them and go try to find them and search for them. And whether it be a phone call, a text message, reaching out to an administrator or or someone at your school who may have a, a stronger relationship with the family, just figuring it out so that a pathway to continuing a relationship with the family of, and the child is created. So that's my my takeaway. My wondering, as because we all have all, all these wonderings right now with, with COVID-19, is my wondering would be, even with reflective practice, I really am worried, particularly about like my stamina for the next school year. You know, even though I'm reflecting and navigating and the stamina to implement it, do I have the stamina to to go the distance as far as like the amount of time that you have to dedicate to becoming a really great remote teacher. I'm fatigued thinking about it. My wondering is, you know, to our listeners, like, you know, how have you built your stamina or or how how do you plan on building your stamina for this next school year? Because I would love to know. I want to be all in. I want to be as invested as I can be while still preserving myself. And I think that's a big piece of, of self-awareness and self-reflection and self-preservation that we haven't talked about during COVID-19 because teachers are, you know, we're so giving by nature, but I definitely want to, I don't know, that's my wondering, like, yo, Michelle, like, this is great, but you know yourself. Stamina is important, so I want to figure that out. With that being said, we have come to the end of our episode, so thank you so much for listening. Please feel free to leave a comment or suggestion about topics you would like us to discuss in the future or some answers you have to our questions. That would be great. For real. Um, right? And then, uh, so during our next episode, we'll continue our conversation about reflective practice. But this time, we're going to be focusing on using this tool in the midst of the racial reckoning that we talked about a few episodes ago in the United States. So if you haven't followed us on social media, you can find us on Educators for Impact at Educators for Impact on Instagram or Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at edu for impact edu, the number four, impact. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you have a wonderful day, night, evening, or morning, whenever it is you're tuning in. Have a great one. Peace.